From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. This is Craig Willett, The Biz Sherpa. I'm grateful you joined me today. I'm here with Becky DeRegnacourt Valtema, who is the owner of DeRegnacourt Limited. Becky started the business in 1994. What she does is provide custom riding apparel for the Arabian, Saddlebred, and Morgan equestrian industries. You see, to compete in those industries, you have to wear a certain attire for certain disciplines, and Becky's become an expert at that. She has 40 years' experience in the equine business, and she brings great talent to her business. She's committed to providing custom riding apparel for trainers, amateurs, and youth in the show rings, as I described, and you're seeing some of the pictures of what she does. She has a desire to service her clients above and beyond their expectations. She's truly one of a kind for her industry. I think you will enjoy her today as we talk about how she started the business, saw a need, and was able to ramp up to be able to meet that need, and secondly, how to finance it, and then thirdly, how you market your business, how you really go about exceeding customers' expectations. I think you'll enjoy hearing her. Her husband, Bill, joined her in 2004 as her partner and an officer in the company, and he brings some expertise as well. I think you'll enjoy hearing Becky. This is Craig Willett, The Biz Sherpa. I'm grateful you joined me today for our episode. We're in Tulsa, Oklahoma today at the U.S. National Championship for the Arabian Horses. And I have a special guest. I'd like to introduce you to Becky Deregnacourt Valtema, who's the founder and owner of Deregnacourt Limited. She's the clothier to the stars here at the show and many other equestrian events. Welcome, Becky. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I'm glad that you'd be here with us. You know, what? I just can't help but sit here and look at the covers of these magazines and think of knowing some of them, having been a competitor to them, yeah. that they're your clients. Yeah. What is it like to see the national magazines with your clothes on? It? Well, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. We've actually gotten to a point where as all the magazines flow in, we just keep the ones that we have a cover or back cover of. And the pile is huge. <laughs> Pretty big. So it's fun. And we keep an archive of them. It's really, really interesting. That's got to be rewarding to you. You know, you started this business. Did you ever think you'd be at the level you are today? No. It, we, I actually kind of, it all sort of happened by accident. And um, out of necessity. Oh, really? Most people have a business plan and yeah, they put no, it together and work really no, hard. There was actually no, no business plan. Um, so... Uh, really? It was a secondary. It was a it was a supplemental income, really. Really. Um, yeah, I I actually had a background in. Um, I went to school for sales and marketing, and um, went to work for a logistics company, and so I was in three party logistics with um, you know warehousing, distribution, transportation, and I worked for uh, three different companies for over over eighteen years, wow. and um, but during that time. I had a daughter, was a single mom, and was trying to supplement someone else who liked horses. I grew up with horses. Oh, so, your so you yes. love them, but your daughter yes. loved them. Okay. Yes. 
So I grew up as a small child. My dad loved horses as a kid and he had a backyard horse. And, you know, so when us kids came along, he decided to get us involved in horses and it kind of evolved into horse showing and so on. And it's just been a passion, you know, from the get go. So when Stacy was born, I toted her around and taught riding lessons and trained horses. And that was my side money, you know, to while I went to finish school and all kinds of things. So how did the clothing business come out of that? Well, after um, a few years of doing the horse training lessons, I had a fairly big group that we were uh, taking to major state and regional horse shows. And um, the riding apparel that we do is not something that is easily to buy off the rack. Um, it's just not available. There, there were some things originally years ago uh, that were, you know, they were the polyester, you know, so many gray ones, so many brown ones. It was about it. Right. Um, there were a few custom companies, um, but in the search of trying to find something, um, I started actually buying fabrics and locally having some things made. And it started from kind of just a hand-sewn garment on a local level to researching better suppliers. So if I want to show a horse in a suit, I just can't go to the store and buy any suit off the shelf. Why, could, why wouldn't that work in the, um, in the equestrian spe- world? It's a specific cut that we do for the riders. It's um, the pant is tailored very specific for to allow for you to straddle the horse. Um, it is uh, fit and the flow of the jacket. It's a longer jacket. It's just not something that is in the styling of what you'd see in the marketplace. Oh, okay. And so how did you develop from the initial concept of buying some fabric and doing it to now you're at almost every major horse show in the United States and, and you provide the attire or you sell attire to many of the premier writers? Well, like I said, it started as something to supplement my business. So at the time I was doing a training business that um, the horse training, riding lessons and so on, and my students needed to be appareled and there just wasn't access to a lot out there. So I actually started the apparel to take care of their needs. And so when we went to a horse show... So it wasn't really a big profit center or an no, idea that I'm going to no. do this. You did it, it out of need. need. Yeah, yeah, it was out of need. Um, we actually would outfit them. And so then there was a bigger number. I had outfitted my daughter showing for some time. But when it started to be the students and we went to the Youth National Horse Show and I had nine kids showing with 11 horses and we took home quite a few top tens, national championships. And, and people were saying, my gosh, you're your kids are the best outfitted at the horse show. Where do you get your Is that why they gun? win? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it certainly helps. It's yeah. not the, the end all, but it, you know, it makes the whole process a little more fun. I mean, it's the whole, whole picture. It's what you get to hang on your wall. So when did you decide to break with the 18-year career in logistics? And- well, it, it took a long time, actually. Um, while I was still working, um, I was able to do a lot of the other stuff on the side. Nights, weekends. I mean, when I think about it, I probably worked around the clock without realizing. And um, at one point, um, I had decided with my career to, I had an opportunity to go part-time. And I was in uh, in a sales capacity. And I said, hey, if I produce the same numbers as what the full-time people do, does it really matter how many days a week I work? And they said, no, as long as you know, you can 
I love it. Pay me, pay me what I'm worth, not, what I'm worth. not exactly. by the number of hours I punch the clock. Correct. Okay. So I negotiated to be able to take some time off personally. And those personal, you know, weeks off were at a horse show. I still always answered my phone. I was still double dutying wow. even from a horse show and, um, and did very well at it. And I went down from three days to then two days. And ultimately, once I got to the two days a week and clearly my passion and my focus was in doing that, um, that's when I just said to them, I don't feel it's fair um, at that point to continue to do that. And I felt I had made, I'd weaned myself away from, uh, you know, uh, the salary and went to more of a commission base and then, you know, supplying my own vehicle because I used to have a company car oh, wow. and benefits and buying my own benefits. Well, and that's a big transition, right? Big to transition. be a business owner and have to cover all these things yes. that... So I was able to slowly do that as I peeled away from full-time to part-time. And those are big things. I mean, when you look at not just your base pay, but when you look at a company vehicle, you look at your health benefits. Well, you've got a big company vehicle now. And, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it having my own laptop, having my own cell phone, you know, all those little bills that somebody else was paying for before, right. I was able to kind of feel like a, a little more independent mm -hmm. to be able to say, you know, I can handle all of this on my own. Now it's just that paycheck. So yeah. did, how did you, did that affect how you viewed how you priced your product then? I mean, instead of just supplying it at for, as a supplemental a benefit to your clients. To some degree, it was initially. So initially started out, and it was. We were probably um, placed ourselves in an entry-level market. However, I'll never forget the day, actually. I came um, home, and I opened up one of the trade magazines, and I saw an advertisement for a competitor and they were advertising a price. And I remember I, I said to my husband, Bill, who works with me, I said, I, you have to see this. I said, <laughs> we cannot even produce it for that. Wow. And I said, scary. what are we going to do? I, and, it, and you're at that point where you're like, how do we, where do we go forward from here? Because we were almost almost double that price wow. with the with the production we had because we reached out to do the best and i said if we're just a starter in the market it's going to take something for people to know the quality and the of what they're getting and i said if they don't have the opportunity to know that what are we going to do so we were at a kind of a crossroads of you know can we compete in this business and so I just took the approach from my previous business life, and I had an excellent seminar years ago, and they said, there, you have to be two things. You can't be everything to everybody. Right. And um, it would, the, the speaker that day said, if you're going to be a low-cost provider, then you need to do a lot of volume, oh, yeah. and you need to truly keep your suppliers suppressed because there's no room of margin for right. you to eat additional costs that you can't handle. Right. So you and have to have a real tight rein yes, on your you supplier. Do. Yeah. Okay. So like for example, the Walmart, Sam's Club, that there is very small margin in that, but they have to make it up in volume. Right. And so we knew that we could never be that type of business. And I've always 
had a had a passion for things that are are quality and that do provide service and all those things. So that was a little bit my background in logistics as well. Was they said if you supply something in a service or a quality of a product that isn't comparable to something else, then you set your price. Right. Then you have a, an advantage because Correct. there's nobody, there's no competitor. Nobody that can do that or supply exactly that. Right. So I said, we're going to be the, the top service provider that is going to be at a dollar that it's not out there just to, you have to know your costs. And so I, I was very fortunate that I worked for some very good people that, you know, taught me financial reports and taught me how to do costs of business and, and to know what your cost of goods are and what those supplemental costs are that go on top of that. Um, for example, our, our mobile store. I mean, it's not free, but right. it isn't part of the, the, cost, the cost of, of each. Yeah, it's not the cost of right. each, each outfit you pr- that you produce. Exactly. When you produce that garment, there's, you know, there's cloth involved, there's transportation involved, there's production involved, and that's your cost of goods there. But ultimately, you, when we go to a show, we have fees that we pay as a vendor. We have the cost of getting to and from the show. Um, there's all co- cell phones, employees, computers, yeah, all of that stuff. And so many people, I think that that can be what what causes people to fail is that you think, well, I have this product. It costs me X to make it. So I'll sell it and make a little money. And they don't realize. Right. They think, hey, I'm making $100 on this, yes. but it costs them $200 to make the $100. Yes. yes. And all of a sudden, they don't know where another $100 ended up in there. Right. And they lose track of those numbers. Right. Real easy to do. Oh, so yes, your record keeping, who's the record keeper? You or business? Um, you know, I've always been very tight. Like I said, starting this business came out of a necessity of need, a need of desire of wanting something. I mean, I wanted to do the horses. I had a daughter who wanted to do the horses and I wanted to supply that for her. So um, I've always been very tight with money. Um, I, I wouldn't say that. I tend to get what I want. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm <laughs> frugal. Driven, I'm not okay. frugal. But I did have, I had a boss uh, that I worked for one time and I had said something about purchasing, you know, uh, a home. And he said, um, you're very good with your money. And I said, oh, I don't really think so. <laughs> because I might say, well, we're going to eat pancakes this week because, you know, we want new clothes or right. something. Um, it's a matter of your priorities. Right. But you always have to know that two and two has to make four and you can't if you're going to, you know, spend five and only take in four, you're going to be in trouble. Right. So that's just something that has always been there for me. You know, you don't overspend your means. And that's very important. How did you make that transition, though? So you were doing it, kind of providing it close to cost. It was kind of yes, not a profit initially. center. But now I'm looking at, I'm weaning myself away from my stable employment. Correct. And, and stable paycheck. Now I'm going out on my own for good. Right. And now that I'm on my own, how? what was the big distinguishing factor that you chose to, I know you said you'd be the upper end and the best service, but how did you communicate that to others? How do people understand and resonate? Because it's easy to pick up an ad and say, hey, they're doing that for $1,000. I come over here and it's $1,900. Right. How can that be? Um, it, that's an interesting question. One of the things that we did is we we put a lot of work into the display of our product. Initially, before we had the mobile store concept, we would set up it at an expo. And a lot of the established companies had kind of 
went back and kind of rested on what they did and their reputation. And they might have had one coat sitting out, or if anything. We put out probably six clothed mannequins, wow. and it was the colors and the combination of fabrics and uh, the, the, the eye for design and whatnot. And um, I'm assuming you brought that eye for design with you. Yes, I would say that was my contribution. But um, my husband, Bill, went into business with me, um, left a business that he had and so that we could travel together. And he was, he, he, he's my builder background. And so when it came to setting up a major expo booth, um, he was a very integral part of that. And um, our display, we said, we have to have something that when people walk by, they kind of look and say, we need to walk in there. You know, like any right. store that you go through in the mall, I mean, does it smell good in there? Does it look nice? Right. Does it look like something I want to, you know, does it look expensive? Does right. it, you know, you, you, you have to have all those Yeah, I'm a sucker for that. that I walk to someone's senses. Through, right, I walk through a store, and if I see yeah. it on the mannequin, I go, you know, I, that, that's, that. that looks really nice. I'm not necessarily that. digging through exactly. rows and rows of jackets to find one. I saw that's the right. one in the window, Correct. and that's why I'm there. It's, it's got to be something that brings you in. So that brought them in, but then you have to have a, a service that's consistent with Correct. your pricing and the image, yes. right? So um, how do you I, I how do you accomplish that? A, well, I had a customer that came in early on, and again, we were trying to jump over this hurdle of being uh, a top service, highest quality provider, you know, at a high price. And in order to do that, you 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 can't get scared. And a few times there were times where I thought, oh. We're never going to, they're going to walk away. Right. You know, they're not going to buy. Too it's too high. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't apologize either. No, not only get scared, no. but you can't apologize for no. your price because you know what your costs are. Correct. Because if I couldn't if I couldn't sell at that price, then I couldn't be in the business. And because you, 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 cannot, you cannot take a loss or you're going to end up in trouble. So I had someone, and literally they were, we were in an expo hall, and they were comparing, across, literally, across the aisle. And um, I'll never forget, he came back, and he said, well, so-and-so gave me, you know, a, a this price or whatever. And I said, listen, I said, you know, I respect that. And I said, but uh, when, I don't know what it costs for them to run their business. I don't know their production costs. I don't, I, that, in it. Yeah. Frankly, can't concern or, or, or even the quality of the material Correct. they're proposing. And I said, what I can tell you, and I said, and I'm not going to play that game. Because I don't, when I go into a store, I, I to some degree, I take my business philosophy from major companies that I patronize. Right. So if I go into a clothing store or a jewelry store or whatnot, when I go in, if there's something that I want and it works for me, it fits, it, whatever the criteria might be, I'm going to decide based on that price, okay, number one, can I or can I not, not afford it? Um, number two, if I can afford it, do I think it's worth that? Because it, it's relative value. Right. It's, so, your perce- it's your perception of the value. Correct. So the, if the customer perceives that that's something that they can afford, it's a matter of do they want to afford that? Do they want to spend that? And I said, you know, I will not get in a discount bidding war with the guy next door just to get your business. I have to sell my product at a, at a because I don't want to then not give you the service right. and the quality in order to try to compete. This is what we have. And actually, 
he came back and he bought from us. Really? And that was really, it was a very turning, it was a very, well, it was a very turning time. You know, it, it kind of brought us around the corner of, yes, we can do this. And ultimately we delivered and they were happy and were a customer for a very long time. Yeah, and I think that's the next thing I want to talk yeah. to you about. Really, I think it's one thing to have a display and it's to have a nice product, but pricing sometimes leads people to shop and compare. Right. Yes. But at some point, you segregate yourself from that. So how did you had this long-term relationship with this client who bought, even though he could have maybe bought it cheaper, right. maybe not the same quality, but maybe bought right. a similar product cheaper. How do you go about getting people to come back time and time again? And at some point, you have to go beyond the mannequin. Yes. Sitting there and that that's not the only way to get people in because you don't right. do the mannequin yes. in there anymore. So what's the secret to getting people to come back? Well, I, I would say threefold. So back in my background of logistics, um, anybody can take, you know, a, a skid of freight and move it from A to B. And, um, and the pricing might be, you know, let's just say it costs you an extra 10 bucks here versus, you know, whatnot. And so if you're comparing dollar to dollar, so let's say you decide to purchase, the point is, is if I call, do you know where my freight is? And if you send your invoice, do you send it timely? Is the invoice accurate? Are they, are you having to deal with a lot of issues? So there's a lot of process. Yeah. That's not the core product. So you take your core product and that's just one element of things. So, Ultimately, when we started in our clothing business, I kind of applied the same thing in what my experience was in purchasing items for myself. Again, whether it be clothing or jewelry or hair products or whatever. Um, Does the store make it pleasant for me to be there? Um, When I place my order, do I wait and wait and wait or I can't get a hold of somebody? One of the things that was important to me was that the customer be serviced. And I think that came from my sales background, um, that I was always the one taking care of my clients and servicing my clients so that they had a great experience in the logistics. So to me, it's just a matter of applying that into the clothing business. Right. We well, as several- a customer, you don't want to sit there and call someone and then wait a week. Right. You almost Maybe they're busy, but then they... You, it doesn't matter if they're busy. You start to think that they don't care about you. Correct. So exactly. your prompt in getting back to them yes. means you care about So them. it's a couple things. When they actually place their order, number one, I think it's very important. This Our, our product is a big investment for someone. And I don't take lightly, regardless what that person's income ability is, right. is irrelevant to me. If they come in, that those purchasing decisions have to be their choice. Right. And one of the things we do not do is I, I won't allow a hard pressure sale. Like, oh, you have to buy it today or you got to make that choice. Now, uh, sometimes fabrics come and go and right. I will caution someone, hey, if you make a selection, don't. If it, there is some fabric. Limited supply, forever, right. Might you may be, not be exactly. able to get it, right. But for the most part, I want them to make a good choice and be comfortable with their decision. From that point forward, our, our staff, for example, when it comes to correspondence, like with email, we have, I make it a standard that our staff, when there's an inquiry about an order or an inquiry about placing a new order, that our, we have to respond within the day. So even if it's super busy, I expect that there's an email that goes back to that customer that says, hey, 
let, I'll get into this for you tomorrow, but I just wanted to let you know I got your information. So I think that that's a really important thing that it, you have, the customer has to know that you truly care. And I'm blessed to have a phenomenal staff that, that they're that kind of people. Though, too, right? It did. They got, I was able to train the processes, but they're, it's, it's instilled in them. It's right. the kind of people that they are. So how do you find them? I mean, that's one of the questions a lot of business owners have. Well, how do I hire my first one? And how do I get them to perform at a level as if they were me? Right. Um, that's a good question because a lot of times it, you know, with the customer, it's me one-on-one with them. And that is something that is a big thing for us. Our business is very one-on-one in sales. Um, we don't change up people. They're not getting someone different every time they turn around. Right. But you could almost relate yourself to being a clothing designer. I mean, I've yes. bought from you and yes. I've had children and my wife yeah. buy from you and I've watched you turn the reverse fabrics and say, look at it this yeah. way. Right. Yeah. And so you really have an eye to get people to see things. and. Yeah, and no, because they're in the they're in a class for four to seven minutes being right. judged for national or world championships, and it has to look right. Yes, it does, and so I always say that we have to first sell somebody something that they want and that they need, and that our product be a, 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 the best product. But we have competitors out there that also make a great product. And to me, it's the, the management of the information. It's the processes that we have in place that make our business what it is. And it's that service and the fact that that phone call get followed up and that that email be followed up, so that our invoicing is accurate. And so that, that's what brings people back yes, time and time yes. again. Good, I would say good basic business practices. Yeah. Competition's always good. How do you yes. feel when you may lose to a competitor, um, a client, or a deal? You know, ultimately, that it doesn't bother me. Um, to some degree, I always say, if it's something where we've lost it and we know we've lost it to price, I can never... You could never hold that against somebody. Right. You know, ultimately, if they went somewhere because they could get it cheaper then that, that, that's up to them. So ultimately, I, I always say that they have to also need and want the service that we provide. Right. Because if they don't, and if that's not a value to them, then they're overpaying. Right. And, 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 and then they won't be back. Do you ever sit there and say, hey, they will be back because you know and where we, they're going? And we've had several do that as well, yes. And how, do you, how does that make you feel when they do come um, back? It's good, but ultimately, I never want somebody to go and have a bad experience, ever. Um, I, I wouldn't want them to go somewhere else thinking that it, it would be better or cheaper or whatnot and not have a good experience. Um, that's just not my nature. I mean, right. I, I, want, I want people to find value in what we have, and if it isn't of a value to them, then that's okay. Because it is a, it's a great value to the people who do. How do you, how do you price that in though? That's, I think that's one of the questions a lot of businesses either don't spend a lot of time on that I think they should spend a lot of time on. It's not always a function of just cost. And, that, and you talked about it. You have to understand your cost. Correct. But you also have to look at the value that it's providing, yes. because it allows you to go above and beyond to meet the expectations. So, how do you, fa- how do you factor that value in? When you price. Um, I'm not asking you to give up your formula because yeah. I'm, I'm hoping a lot of your customers watch yeah. this. Yeah. But still. Um, ultimately, it is, I mean, we basically, you start with your cost of goods. I mean, it's, it's a pretty basic formula. And I would hope 
that most places, you know, have their own formula right. um, because we want we want good competition. We've said that before. If if everyone in our industry decided to close up, we couldn't handle it all. Right. You know, so we aren't for everybody. I mean, we like you said, you know, we kind of suit the stars to some degree on that board. Right. And ultimately, our our goal is to be accessible to that clientele. Um, not that we don't want all of them, because we we treat everybody the same regardless that comes in here. You can schedule an appointment, buy from us. You don't have to buy the most expensive thing. It just all depends how unique of right. item you're looking for. But when it comes to those extra services, that's just something that we won't we just won't sacrifice. It's important to me because I will never I, I will never feel badly that someone has left, but I don't want them to say they weren't treated fairly or they weren't um, given a value that was something that they felt was important. I can remember one time needing a hat and you had one I could borrow or buy. Yeah. I also remember a time just having something cleaned or the trainer dropped it in the back of the mm-hmm. trunk of a car and it sat there for a yes, month. Yes, and I showed up at a it. show and the pants were all wrinkled. Yeah. And you bailed me out, right? You yeah. Just small, simple things like that. that it is. I think, to me, that endeared me to want to come yes. back. And, and, and that's that number that I think a lot of people have a hard time with. But I watch it very closely. So, for example... Um, you know, when you start looking at your cost of goods, then you start looking at your your fixed cost um, as far as like your administration costs and that type of thing. But then there's also that what you put in for margin. And our margin has to be bigger than most because I can take like my, my staff salaries and so on, but it is those little things that you can't, if somebody is unhappy with something or it we've made a mistake, needs right. to be taken care of, you cannot have yourself so tight that you can't make the decision to say, don't worry about it. We're going to remake it and take right. care of this. And we're going to do it fast. And we're going to, you know, we're going to make it right. So, and that's cost money. Think, so, of, think of Nordstrom with shoes, right? You walk in, right. you buy a pair of shoes, and after a week, they just aren't right. They'll take them back. Right, exactly. And you that's know. why you go back again. Um, because there is a piece of that that's in that pricing for you. Right. But if that's in across the board, you can take care of that customer when those things arise. We had a we had a situation last year. Um, the uh, pair of pants were gone. You know, they're custom pants. Wow. They were showing that weekend, and I said, "I'll do what I can." And I contacted the production shop and I said, "Hey, can that can this be done?" I, and I expected all means to be told no. Right. And they said, "I think we can make it happen." I said, well, it's a good customer. This would be really important. And so we did. And between producing it in a day, shipping it next day air, yeah, next day this person was cheap. in the ring yeah. on Saturday with it, with a pair of pants that was missing on Thursday. Wow. So what's really inter- what's probably as important is that I also, when it comes to selecting our suppliers, whether it's our production, our fabric, or that to me is our support group. And... Um, to know that they have the same business philosophies that we do. Because if my production shop is telling me, you know, go fly a kite, 
Uh, that's not a partner that I want to. No, hear. that's like hiring the right employee. Correct. Same thing. They've got to be a team player. They, it all, it, the whole thing is is from start to finish. So Whether integrity all the way down. Correct. The line, exactly. Based on your business. Flaws. Right. For example, if we get a new fabric that's released and we sell it to a customer and the fabric for some reason doesn't perform, I'm seeing you know like a pulling in a seam or whatnot, and I'm going to look at that and think. I'm not going to keep trying to patch that over. Right. You got to. I need money. to be able to right. contact my number one. If I need to absorb it, then I have to absorb it because right. I'm not going to expect a customer to be satisfied with that. But for my purposes, I want to be able to go back to my supplier and say, "Hey, this fabric is the problem. Whether it's a mill problem or whatnot, um, or whether there was something in production. I mean, either way, you have to be able to identify." The, the piece in the, in the supply chain where something happened. But the ultimate thing is the customer doesn't need to worry about that. Right. They just need to, to be told and- it will be taken care of. That's great. You yeah. know, I, I can think yeah. of a hundred experiences where I've had, yeah. where I've heard all the reasons why what I thought I was getting isn't, isn't. what I got. Right. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I don't really care. Yeah. Can't just, you just take care of this for right. me? And I hear all the work that they're going to have to do. And I, well, but that's not that's what not I'm here problem. for. Yeah. <laughs> That's your problem. I had yes. a I had a business partner one time. He told me something. He said, "I don't like situations where people make their problem my problem." Correct. And as much as I've complicated my own life many yeah. times, I've always come back to subscribe subscribe to his philosophy. Yeah. I need to align myself with people who don't try to make their problems mine Correct. because it complicates my life. Right. So. It, it, you know, I and that's, that's what a I. Great business philosophy. Well, it, and it's what I instill in my staff. I said, you know, I don't. The customer doesn't need to know that you had a bad day or didn't feel well yesterday, or that right. you know you were you know you were off grabbing lunch when they called. And no, no, there's no excuse. Or you know, for me to say you know, hey, you know, UPS dropped the ball, or you know, it happens. But ultimately, it's our responsibility as a company to deliver to that customer. I mean, they may ask, well, what happened? I might say, well, this, this, and this. But to make but here's a what I've done about it too, right? Yeah, is you know they they don't need the excuses. They don't want to hear it. No, we it, hear too many yes, of those. Yes. Talk about excuses. You know, we've had some difficult times in our economy in the last 20, 15 years. Um, first, the financial crisis back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and I imagine it impacts the equestrian business as much as it impacts any other business, and that is when people's incomes or their liquidity freezes up because the stock market crashes or the pandemic when businesses shut down. Sometimes you're faced as a business owner having a business plan for the year, at least some goals and objectives. And all of a sudden there's no horse shows or the people that are coming don't feel like they can spend the money they used to. How do you react? How do you react to that? And what have been some of your secrets to kind of make it through those times? It's interesting that you pointed out the uh, 2007-2008 because that was a big one. I mean, I'll never forget, we were in Oklahoma City at a Morgan Grant National when that all happened in October. Oh, yeah. And um, we were headed from there to here. It's literally just over, you know, how many years ago? Uh, Almost to the date. And when we were on our way from Oklahoma City over here, we said, this is just not going to be a good show. I mean, the stock market was below 10. I mean, we were looking at the Dow below 10,000. It was crazy. Right. And um, I mean, people were in utter panic. And so the good thing is we were not a, a, a huge business. Um, so at the same time, you don't have quite the overhead that you have. Um, but we had, at that time, we had always been inside in an expo hall. 
So sometimes out of adversity comes good things. Okay. So we made the decision at that in that 2008 that at this this horse show we're sitting here talking at that I said let's utilize our what really was a um, a fifth wheel trailer that hauled our stuff that we stayed in, um, but we said. We, and we had never used it for that purpose at a big national show because right. it just size-wise. And I said, Listen, But it was storage for you. It yes. allowed you to transport mm-hmm. your Correct. displays, your yep. product. And I said, why? This is, we just need to figure that this isn't going to be great. Where they had put us in the expo hall was terrible. Um, oh, no. And so location, location, location. So I said, even if we go to all this work, unload this, we're in a terrible spot. Pe- there may be nobody who even shops. I mean, let's, let's make the least amount of work out of it. So we ended up utilizing the mobile store at the time, which was significantly smaller than this one. But I said, let's let's make the least amount of work for us as far as loading, unloading, right. and so on. So we did, and at the time, and it's where Bill and I are a very good team because I was laying in bed that night and I'm thinking, how are we going to have some kind of exposure if everything's inside of this trailer? That's a big transition yes. from being in front of everybody or, or what you thought was in front expo of everybody. Display, oh. yeah. And so I said to Bill, because I start to think things in, in, are always on my mind in the night. And I woke up that morning and I That's said, and I drew <laughs> a picture and I said, I want you to do this on the back of the trailer to create this platform and, and whatnot. And we're going to have tables back there and the mannequins are going to go out there and whatever. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yeah. And, he, <laughs> and Bill, in his very quiet way, he said, I'm going to Lowe's. And he left. Wow. He wasn't very happy with me, but ultimately he came back and he created this back deck entrance with the mannequin. I mean, it was fantastic. And so we never looked back. We never went back into an expo booth again. It created the concept of our mobile store at every show. Um, we literally go into an expo on two occasions throughout the year only, and we do almost 24 horse shows. Wow. So the two that we do are because of the venue, they they are able to push traffic in a very good way for us, but it's also such a large venue that if we were off by ourselves in the mobile store, it just wouldn't No one would find you. Right. That's the Scottsdale mm-hmm. Arabian Horse right. Show, one of them, I know, because I see you yes, there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So then, you know, of course, then this year with the pandemic, um, it was difficult because for everyone in every industry, uh, shut down. But yes, we were we were in a in a somewhat of a panic. Um, that actually, my biggest panic was not so much um, uh, financially, but that we had stuff that people had placed orders on January, February that would would have been delivering oh, yeah. in March, April, and literally production had to be shut down. All of the cut pieces to garments had to be bagged and covered and stored and while these shops shut down. And so the biggest thing was I was just, it it was eating me up with the idea that I can't deliver. Yes. And I thought, not that they've got anywhere to go, but you have a deposit on something. And it was like, I said, what happens if if right, people say, thinking, hey, she's not I need my money this. back. I couldn't right. possibly never get my product. We never had that happen, thank goodness. People, our clientele was so good and, and so supportive of us. And the thing that we were able to do, again, you just you try to make lemonade out of lemons. And so in the meantime, our staff um, was coming to work each day. And um, 
uh, we were not an essential business, so we had to kind of make ourselves an essential business. We started making all the face masks. Oh, wow. So our production facilities were making them. Our staff was working on it. We literally created an online system where people could order and pay and everything right without deal going through a person. Right. Um, and so, they were hard to find. Correct. Right. Yes. And so we were shipping face masks left and right. Wow. Now, clearly, we cannot support our business with face that. Masks. No. Right. No. Correct. But it was a little bit of supplement. It was a way for us to stay in contact with our customers. It was a way to keep our social media going and an awareness of our company that we're out there and we're, you know, doing well and whatnot. So, um, right. And that you care what's going on in the world. Correct. Exactly. And, and at some point, if, if things didn't change and things didn't open up, I mean, we were looking at a situation of maybe there will be never be another horse show again. Wow. And that's a scary thought. And there was talk that do we go back to just small outdoor county level shows where we tie the horses to the trailer and show them outside? And I thought, if we do that, there's no need for high end clothing. Right, because they get ruined out. No, it's going to be what much more practical. It's just not something that we can do. And you do. We, I mean, at some point we thought, what are we going to do? Well, obviously what? we're here, so that we're, didn't it, happen. No, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness things started to open up, and we did. We literally, and that was the blessing of our mobile store, too. We just started going, as soon as people started having shows, Tennessee, the state of Tennessee started to open up. The state of Alabama started so to open up. Go and we they- were able, we had some very forward-thinking people in the equestrian industry that started saying, we need to have horse shows. And said, if you don't feel comfortable coming, if you don't feel it's safe, then please, you know, don't. Right. Do what you need to do. But it was very crucial for the people who needed to, that if they did feel safe and did go out, that and then you knew the risks involved. Right. That that we did, and it was wonderful. Right, so it you was, didn't have to be in an indoor place where no. where they couldn't figure out what to do because there right. wasn't. They hadn't figured out the distancing, Correct. what would work. So. And what was fabulous too, again, that I was thankful we had our mobile store. We weren't in an expo hall like it normally was because that was a very difficult setting. Right. And so for us, we were able to. We had kind of structured our our company all along to do private appointments with people because they're shopping at a very high-end product. And to have that one-on-one time for them, they don't need everybody strolling in and out in their business and what they're buying. And so we had kind of established that type of of a way to do business. So it really didn't change a lot for us. It really helped solidify the schedule an appointment. It's your one-on-one time, you you know, max of so many people. We could clean, sanitize. We have a restroom in the back, so hand washing and so on. So really, it was something that just kind of our business was able to just continue to go on. Um, We were very fortunate that we had the opportunity that we were structured that way. That's cool. I'd like to go back to the 2007 time again. I, I just think it's interesting that you went from one way of doing business that most people did. I think I've seen some mobile stores of other yes. types. but. Was that done out of convenience for you, or did you do it for your customer? And what what's the most surprising thing that happened from going to the mobile store that you maybe weren't anticipating, either positive or negative, well, from that decision? I guess really. Right. It was. It was a. De- it was a decision. Um, probably made more for us in the sense that I said, let's keep our costs down. Um, we need to figure out how to push traffic. But if there is no traffic 
that, you know, we do the least amount of work. Right. So it, we were very fortunate. And I will say we're blessed. And I, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, everything you touch just turns to gold. And I said, no, but, but you live a good life and you work hard. Well, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, you know, that's, it's a blessing. Really, it is. Um, so when we did that, it really was probably more for us. But we also started to realize that people liked that environment. They liked the privacy of things. And, and we really felt that we could cater to them in that way. And at the point that um, what basically happened is we outgrew that mobile store. And so right. we ended up in this. But there's a bit of mystique to it too, right? Yes. You, you have fierce competitors walking yes. around the same yes. exhibition hall. Correct. And if they see one of their competitors with you, yes. they're like, I wonder what he or she's looking at right. peek over the shoulder, but if they're in a private setting, they don't have to worry about it is. letting I, the secret think, out before they wear their next outfit. Right, and I think too, um, for me, like I might wanna buy something at a Saks Fifth Avenue, but it doesn't mean that I'm never gonna shop at Neiman Marcus. Um, I love the loyalty of my customers. I think that that's wonderful, and I value that with them, but certainly it, it I wouldn't not want to service or be upset with a customer because they found something that they needed, wanted, whatnot at another supplier. So I don't like the pressure that it puts on the customer where you're in, a, in an area where it causes them to probably not shop with anyone. And so for us, we want to give them that privacy, um, mostly for the customer. Right, so they, they, they have time to make up their mind. Right. Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. an interesting philosophy. Yeah. So that's kind of the surprise through it all that you didn't realize the customers would feel that. Yes. How did you drive the traffic to the mobile? Because I'm sure people were walking through the expo. Where is she? Where? I mean, yes. did, did yeah. your phone start ringing? How did people find you? Um, the, it's very, it's kind of interesting because it's important that that because you said the, location, the location, location, yeah. and once you move, I know what right. it is being a real estate yeah. guy. It's, once you move locations, yes. so you got to plan yes. way ahead and tell people so where you're going to be. One of the be. things we do, we did a lot of footwork early with our business, and um, I always say I, I'm not too proud as a business owner that we don't do the the very hard work ourselves, but we would print flyers and Bill and I were walking around, dropping them at every stall and every restaurant, you know, handing them out. And so what the, the, the wonderful part about that is that sometimes just that time in the morning to say hello to somebody, they just see your face. And right. that that's a really nice thing, which the pandemic thing is making that a little tough. But um, as far as putting out or, you know, running specials, something to get them in the door and something that shows them where you are. So we really tried to do some actual, you know, on-the-ground marketing. I like that on-the-ground marketing. My father-in-law shared with me something when I started my CPA firm, and he did, used to work for the IRS and used to do some tax work on the side before he became president of a bank. Yeah. And he told me, he said, Craig, if you're going to start your own firm, take Wednesday afternoons and just leave the office, leave the work behind, and just go out and say hi to your clients. Yeah, it's important. And you know what? From that, I can't think of how many times I picked up business opportunities, investment right. opportunities, and more business right. for me. But that wasn't the intention. It was right. just to keep that relationship Absolutely. alive. And, and I do. I think that that's probably um, one of the things that, uh, you know, you have to be honest. And you have to, I mean, honesty is the most important. Don't try to slide something past a customer. You know, to me, that... 
that um, the lack of respect for their intelligence, right. thinking that you're going to slide a fabric past them that wasn't what they ordered or, you know, to think that, you know, you didn't care enough to say hello and, and give them a smile. You know, if you're having a bad day, that's not their problem. I mean, right. you, you need to be that friendly face that they enjoy seeing. And to be honest, it, it's, it's something that I feel blessed that it's easy for me. I truly enjoy being with my customers. I mean, many of them, I mean, like you, I mean, have become friends. And, and I really value those relationships. Um, we have people who were customers that, you know, they're not even in the horse business anymore. And I still see them and get to visit with them and they've become lifelong friends. That's great. I think that's an underlying thing because everybody wants to do business with people who care. Right, right. And everybody wants to create a relationship. And right. I think that's one of the struggles through the pandemic. I'm going to take a wild guess here and maybe correct me if I'm okay. wrong, but I, had, I kind of fed you a few questions ahead of time to think about. And one of them is financing your business. But yeah. from what you've told me today, I think you, and if I'm wrong, tell me, a lot of people start to grow their business and realize you know, I don't have I don't have enough financial resources. I need to take on a partner, or I need to go get a bank loan. How did you grow? Maybe I won't take a wild guess. How did you grow to the level you are today? Did you do it just from plowing in your profits, or did you have to go out and find some other means to to get you leaving the corporate world to getting to being solely dependent yes. on this? What the decision to um, dropped from the full-time down to part-time. We actually sold our house um, and moved to a very small little, almost starter house. Really? We kind of gutted out the kitchen and did some work ourselves and put in a, you know, and, and made this little, we actually, we, what we did is it was kind of a creative thing. We needed to sell an expensive house and the people bought, who bought it were a couple that he had a condo, she had a house she had been in for 35 years. And we said, why don't we buy your house? Because they needed to sell one to buy ours. Oh, okay. I said, why don't we buy yours? You buy ours. And I mean, because the net turnaround was a couple hundred thousand dollars. For you, right? Yes. And we needed that out of that overhead. We needed to not have a big house payment. We needed not to have car payments. We needed to, we had to really really skinny down our lives and um you know it was a sacrifice but it was it was very worth it and i remember back um you know when i first started out you know just on my own you know when you're 18 and you're out of the house and you're on right. your own um i i was blessed with parents who um were always there for me but they didn't financially they provide didn't for me out. never right. ever um so I don't think we ever, I've ever borrowed 10 bucks from my dad. You always say, you know, you know, I'm, I'm here whenever you need me, but don't right. come asking for money. And um, so I remember, I mean, early on when I got my first apartment and I figured all my expenses and I had $25 left over at the end of a month. Wow. That's it. Outside of food, rent, insurance, you know, the, yeah. the your you bills. What did you do with the 25 bucks? I don't know. I mean, I probably, <laughs> I probably maybe held on to, 15 of it and spent the 10. Yeah, that was right. my luxury. But um, that's always carried over. That So making that move to going to the business full-time, um, I couldn't have done it, trying to still live the same lifestyle I had. Right. I mean, you, you have to 
know that because you're running a risk right and i'm not going to expect the bank or anyone else to eat my risk right. if i don't make to take it. right to take pay your personal right. expenses exactly. for you while you're growing Correct. your business so and i so, love that because i've just yeah. finished a series on starting a business and yeah. that's one of the things you can go to friends and family or you can kind of figure out what Talk your resources yourself. are and yeah. try to figure out how you can make yeah. it i had that i did the same thing when i started yeah. mine and you just have yeah. to just you do i i was able to take that part-time income and adjust our lifestyle to me having a part-time income versus a full-time income. And, um, and at the point that I'd built the business up enough that I was able to be without that. And it just took that. And as we went forward, um, I was actually, I moved a few times. So in the time when real estate was good, um, my design tactics actually kind of were very helpful. Um, I built a few houses. And so built houses, you know, had them all to furnished. To live in or just? Well, they were to live in, but, you know, a horse comes along <laughs> and this comes along and that that you have to have happen. And I actually, one of the houses I built, I got moved in and I was there probably three weeks and the yard wasn't in. We had no landscaping. Um, there was a front entryway light that was waiting. The fireplace doors hadn't come yet. And my daughter wanted a horse. And oh, no. so <laughs> I said, I literally propped a for sale sign up in front of the house and I asked the price of the horse more than what I paid for the house. Wow. Was sold in a week. Wow. So we got a horse. We lived in an apartment and that was a sec. It's funny. I actually, my mother actually asked me, she said, you did not. But I asked my, at the time, eight-year-old daughter, I said, this is the deal. If we're going to get this horse, then we have to move from here. We'll, I mean, we'll build another house, but we're going to live in an apartment. For an eight-year-old in the third grade, you know, maybe that was more important to her, to live in that neighborhood with her friends and, right. you know, whatever lifestyle an eight-year-old has become accustomed to and kind of start over with nothing. And I said, that's a decision I felt wasn't a fair one for me to make for her. And she said, no, Mom, I want the horse. Oh, the horse. <laughs> and I said, okay. So we, moved, we were in an apartment for six a months. A true equestrian then, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... Six months in an apartment, build another house, and on we went. But um, that I, sacrifice is really important, I yes. think, though, because so, so often we think, oh, I'm going to get in, it's just going to start making oh, money right away. Yeah. It takes a long time to it build does. up. It does. And you have to be able to cinch that yeah. belt and live on, mm-hmm. be able to live on very little so yes. that you can allow the business mm-hmm. to grow. Well, and it was kind of like that with the pandemic, too. I mean, when everything was closing down and boom, income is stopped. Right. But you've got employees to pay, you've got payments to make, you know, you have all that. Um, one thing that was, I, I found, I felt very fortunate that we had positioned ourselves well. And I probably didn't realize that at the time, what a good choice I made. I do in hindsight now. But when um, when the government came out with, uh, you know, the, 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 the PP, protection, yeah, yeah, the protection, protection um, I had, you know, I'd, I'd also been given very good advice at one point. They said, you know, do what you do best. Um, we make clothing. We are not, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I'm not an accountant. You know, I'm not, you know, so I'm not a banker. So those are the three things that to me is very important to arm yourself with your own business. Make sure that you have a good banker. And I was important to me to find a bank that was big enough that, you know, they're not the little mom and pop. But at the same time, I could have a personal relationship with my banker. Right. It was that very became, it was very, very important key. a few times, and um, on top of it, I had an excellent CPA. 
I mean, they do it. They take care of our payroll. They do all that. Well, what was great is all I had to do was call them. They had all the reports I needed. And as we've been through this, as far as the, the payback of the you know, PPP loans, they, they, they keep all the records. Wow. So they took care of all that for me. And the, the CPA, along with the payroll service, they work together out of the same building. And they basically, I've not had to do any of it. And it's been, and I've told people it's a great structure. I, I had heard terrible stories from people that were waiting in line and didn't get that PPP stuff. But they, they were dealing with huge banks that right. they just were lost in the shuffle. And that was so sad. And that's what I like. There is a certain regional or community bank yes. level that's meant for business a, a owners, small business, business owners. Yeah, right. if you're not that big, you've got to find... Right. So, you know, it was kind of like when we were looking for our production supply. I wanted, I needed a company that... Our, I think our previous production was not big enough. We were outgrowing them. And I needed to move into something bigger, but I didn't want something that was so big that we would be unimportant. We needed to be a priority. So it, your your supply chain has to mirror the type of business that you have so that you have good resources. And so do your outside on. consultants have to be the same the thing. Same you way. don't need somebody that's over-qualified right. for you that knows and understands your yeah. thing. So when did you start this relationship, and how did the relationship start with the banker? It certainly wasn't just all of a sudden that the PPP you ran yeah. in. No. How did you cultivate you that? Know, I'm was, really curious because I think this is really critical for most businesses to succeed. Because right. um, you never know when you're going to need them. But yeah, exactly. you don't always want them, but you want to keep the relationship. Um, I had started out with a, a, a local bank um, and a little plug for them. We do business with Fifth Third Bank. Um, but it's a regional, almost a national uh, company. Um, but... The, they do business. We have a business banker that's um, that actually the, the branch manager who I dealt with, whether it was um, uh, buying a home, um, working with someone in the mortgage department, um, refinancing. You know, and that was something. We refinanced some homes in order to free up funds to be able to, you know. Make it through the difficult it, Yeah, or to purchase things that we needed to for the business. Um and so when the time came, we had that relationship and, you know, an email. And again, my philosophy with my customers, you answer that day. Well, when you're sitting there and you're going, oh, we got to get this PPP thing. And I mean, I needed the, the accountant, the payroll service and the banker had to be on it. Steps. And yeah. they were, they were right there for us. They literally, at one point we couldn't, I couldn't get one of the forms downloaded and she said, I'm just going to fill it out for you. Just e-sign it when you get it, and I'll take care of it. And literally, it was done, and we were very fortunate. Cool. You stole the thunder to one of the answers I was going to oh. ask. One of the questions I was going to ask you the answer to, and that is, what do you do to set aside money independent of the business mm -hmm. so that as you need it for the business or right. someday when it comes to retirement, you have a, an income stream and some assets right. that aren't just the business? Because sometimes businesses like these are fairly unique. Yeah. You could sell, maybe you can't. It's hard well, to replicate. Actually, we um, we talked about that. We actually had a business plan that we, and and I think it was good and, and served its purpose, but we've kind of turned and went in a little different direction um, over the last maybe four or five years. Um, that was the plan. I had a very good financial planner who said, listen, you know, at some point, um, you need to make that business be valuable aside from you personally. It can't just be you or it's not worth anything. And so we started to, um, one, establishing our staff and creating a system that could exist and, and service the customer that our customers could continue to do business with us and feel comfortable without me present. 
and that was important. Um, and we did an v- excellent job of that. We found at some point it had gone far enough that um, we got a little overstaffed and a little too much overhead. And so then we had to kind of scale that back. And you've got to kind of always, it's that balance of things. And so I felt that we were doing some services that weren't enough, they weren't, they weren't valuable enough to the customer and were too costly for us. So we kind of redid some things. But I said, either I can do that, be bigger, and sell at the end, or we could da- dial back some expenses and net that and basically over so the course decide. of a plan that, hey, if we sell in the end, that's a bonus, right. but we will have made what we might have sold it for along the way. Right. So it's and a then little we different set that way aside to structure. So that we have it where, where we can access it right. when we need to. Um, so, for example, our mobile store is very unique. I mean, the saleability, I'm sure some, it, it might, but for what that amount would be, who knows. So our objective is, has, and we're very close to owning it. It's really kind of a neat feeling. Um, but it, when we needed to buy it, I mean, our bank was right there. And actually, we switched banks over the purchase of oh, this really? mobile store. Oh. One was just dragging their feet. The business right. banker was a little aloof it, about right. me. No, they didn't understand it. Um, the guy wasn't returning my phone calls and because they had dumped us, we had gotten big enough. They dumped us over to business banking, but they, we weren't big enough that, no, he was, you know, he just kind of dismissed us. So I made a call in to our bank that we deal with now and they were on it, processed our loan in two days. Wow. And I mean, for a significant amount of money, but we had very good credit. It's all, we've always made sure that personally, because I mean, you, you, you can, and they, we got, we've gotten to a point where we can purchase things through the business with enough credit that we don't have to personally insure all of them. But that's a nice feeling to get nice. to that point. Yeah, yeah that's great. it is. Well, you've been very successful, and I don't mean to end this on a low note, but there is a question somebody always has to answer yeah. on the Biz, on the yeah. Sherpa podcast, and that is, what is your greatest failure, and what did you learn from it? You know, I actually, you gave me this question in advance, and I had to think about it, but... Um, I couldn't really think of one. Um, we've been very fortunate, very blessed. Um, um, and it was probably not having the courage to do it sooner. Um, really, actually, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, not, and, I, and I don't think I would change it, though, however. I mean, that would be probably the only thing is that I was fearful enough, I was comfortable enough right. that taking that step to cut off that, that very dependable, right. you know. And I actually was at a point where I thought, you know, you think that that paycheck is just keeps showing up, but that business owner has all those same issues. Exactly. They may not be able to pay you one day. Right, and, and then you're gone. Yes. And then you so have no you income other that than that unemployment. Keeps maybe. Coming, that's a little bit of a blind, right. foolish faith. So um, ultimately, when when we did that, I, you know, it all worked out. But yeah, I mean, I probably could have done it sooner. But at the same time, the way that it all evolved, we were financially set. We scaled some things back, right. slimmed down our right. own. Sell the house, buy the yeah. smaller house. And I think that's mm-hmm. important because sometimes yeah. people have great business ideas. And, they, and in the enthusiasm to get them started, sometimes it may not be the right timing. Maybe they're not willing at that point right. to make the sacrifice. Right. They're enthusiastic yes. about it, but 
They want someone else to make the commitment. Yeah. But I think it takes you being all in in business. You do. You have to be all in. It has. You have to have the the risk of fail. If you can't expect for anyone else, you know, to it's kind of like the bank. You know, you no. go to the bank and they say, you know, that's that's fine, but you sign here. I right. mean, it's your house, it's your car, it's your. Right. I mean, it's and all anything of else you could ever get and in I'm, the future. You know, and you and if you aren't willing to do that, then. Why would they be willing to think you're good for it? You know, I mean, exactly. it's a perfectly understandable statement. And sometimes it takes getting to that point of either being comfortable that the business is slowly being built to that, that you don't go 100% in, but you right. have it and you continue to build it. Correct. But there comes a point in time where you have to make that commitment. And I, I really like that. Well, and it's kind of, um, it's interesting. We, we have three children and all of which I'm very proud of put themselves through school um, you know, at one point, whether we could have afforded it or not, um, my parents did that with us. It was, you know, you're going to pay your way and whatnot. And so, um, I kind of had that philosophy with things that, you know, it, it's, it's more important to you. And I think you work a little harder when your dollar is on the line. Oh, you you certainly look a lot more closely than if it's somebody else's. And, or you decide, do I really need this? Do I, you know, or I need to, I, this has to work. I need to make this work. And so, um, whereas when, it, when it's somebody else's pocketbook, you know, yeah. so I always say it's fun to go shopping with somebody else's, else's money. money. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. we all like that. That's exactly right. You know, I couldn't help but every time you mentioned overhead today, mm-hmm. think of something my dad always told me when I started my business. He said, Craig, just be careful on the overhead. Yes. It's real easy, as you yes, said. One is. time, you tried to grow mm-hmm. so they could be independent of you, which mm-hmm. is an admirable right. thing. But you right. also recognize, hey, there are times where we just have to be in control of this. And right. if it's too much, it's, it's really hard to cut back. It is. It is. And we were very fortunate that we didn't have to make an intentional cutback. We actually had an employee who um, ended up uh, uh, had a significant other re, uh, relocating to the West Coast. Oh. And so she moved and I said, my decision is we aren't replacing her because I knew that we were we were staff heavy. And um, and then it happened one other time. I mean, it, so it happened a couple so times through natural. Through natural and, I, and I'll tell you, there, there was a lot of sleepless nights because I knew that something had to give. And when those things happened, oh, it was That's like a, a relief. load off. Yeah. It was a big relief. It's yeah. hard to go to someone and oh. say, you know. I've never had to do it. And I just don't, I don't know that I could. <laughs> but, you know, I would suck up a lot, I'll tell you. And we did. I mean, there was times through you know, a, a lot of, you know, payroll periods and we didn't take a check. Right. I mean, you know, I have to be willing to be the first one that doesn't take exactly. the check. And so many business important. owners. And, and I think that's a great principle because yes. someone taught me a long time ago, when you have profit, that's yours. Correct. Because you're the one taking the risk. But until right. you have profit, that's right. you really can't count on no. and you can't be just that's draining right. cash out of the business because you, you right. hinder the business. You know, ability there is, to function. There's, there's always that perspective of, oh, well, the business owner has this or that. And I have a very good, I have a good friend that, you know, I mean, to some degree, they feel a need to hide their success. And I'm very open with my employees. I said, and I, and I all tell other people, I said, I'm not going to cry a, a sad song to anyone. I feel like we, we live very comfortably. We live very well. I mean, it wasn't always that easy. No. But um, at the same time, I don't, it, it's, it's not extravagant. But, you know, the way that we, I pay my suppliers top dollar. I even offer more to them. 
actually. Oh, really? How do I, do. I become a supplier? I do. <laughs> and then like the employees. I mean, I don't want to be where they're saying, oh, I, I'm looking to take another job because I can, you know, make more, more per hour. Yeah. You have to, again, it's that value. If I feel that that person is worth that and, and, the, and the company can afford it, then that it's almost like a little bit of a form of a, of a profit sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to share that with them. And um, it makes them be better employees because they're more motivated. Right. And that's very important. And they feel you value them. Yes. And I think that's important. Absolutely. In fact, I think that summarizes who you are. You value every customer the same. I do. And you value their business, yeah. that you'll do anything to, to earn it and to, and to keep yeah. it. And I yeah. think that's a great lesson. Yeah, it is. I'm so glad. I knew you it's would just be a great life guest. It's a lesson, too. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you know that, too, Craig. I mean, it's it's something where, you know, everybody said, well, you know, it does. It takes hard work, and it takes um, a lot of faith, too. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. But that you have a good heart, and I think it comes out. And yeah. I think that's what's great, and I think that's really what... Our, our interactions with everybody, our customers, our clients, right. however you want to look at it as a business owner, that relationship has to be first and foremost, and they have yeah. to know that you care, and especially in a small business. I think it's even it more important because it's not just done by clicking on the exactly. internet and ordering something on Amazon. Yes. You, don't, you don't get an outfit one. like that. No. no. Yeah. On there, unless it's used. Yeah. But even then, I think that's yeah. probably eBay. So. And for us, you know, we travel. I mean, some people are surprised, but a, a, a good price seven months of a, of a year is us on the road. So I, you know, our people at home, they have to be self-motivated. They run the show. I mean, it's, they're in charge. And it's funny, people will call me and they'll say, oh, this, I'm like, I got to check with them. Right. They, they, I kind of, they, I, they think I don't have a boss, but I do. <laughs> I, I have four of them back at the office. They, that keep, you they keep me in line. That's they great. make things, sure things Bill. are on time. I mean, yeah. too, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. He tries to get fired once in a while, oh, but okay. I, yeah, we, work yeah exactly. Okay. Oh, that's great. Well, I knew you'd be a, a real special interview. I'm grateful that Thanks. you take the time. Oh, I know it it's a, a busy show a and pleasure. you took time out for us. And that means a lot to me. Yeah. And I know that our listeners are really going to benefit from what you had to say. Yeah. Your principles that you've lived and experienced, you've painted a great picture for yeah. business philosophies that I have and engender. And I think that's probably why we're such good yes, friends. We can is. relate. Exactly. Anyway, this is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Thanks for joining us for this episode today. My, my gratitude to Becky Valtema for allowing us to come in and invade her mobile store today in the middle of a big national championship horse show. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. Thank you. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.